I'm Matthew. I'm Marty. I'm Carlos. And we are the Heroes 3. Welcome to Heroes 3, the bi-weekly podcast where three friends explore the best, worst, and everything in between in the world of Asian cinema. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're at Heroes the Number 3 Podcast on all three of them. And this week we are continuing our look at Chambara Film with 1973's Lady Snowblood as directed by Toshio Fujita and starring the amazing Meiko Kaji, who we haven't seen on the podcast yet, I don't think, but we definitely will see more of her in the future because... Because uh, she's something else. Yeah, yeah she's awesome. Yeah, and uh, yeah, obviously, uh, we can get this right out of the way. Yes, Kill Bill was definitely inspired by this film. <laughs> inspired might be an understatement. <laughs> yeah, uh, watching this for the podcast, you can see, I mean, not just visually, but thematically, there are some things that were heavily, heavily Yeah, it's sort of like what inspired. Diddy Kong Racing is to Mario Kart. Oh, um, perfect. <laughs> I love that. It's weird. There's this thing that like sticks in my head. For some reason, I can never let it go. I remember it actually wasn't about Diddy Kart racing, but it was someone. It's Diddy Kong racing, but it might as well be Diddy Kart racing. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Diddy Kong racing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I remember like some IGN review that was talking. Actually, I think about a Mario Kart game and they used the phrase like the kart genre. And it, it just like... <laughs> got under my skin and, and like i think about it every so often and i'm like no that's not how it works like somebody made a game and then a couple people copy it like it's not a genre anyways yeah. um, it takes a little more than that to make it a genre yeah love- t- totally and so yeah. like yeah this is uh i'm i'm glad that uh there hasn't been a whole lot of uh imitators in the wake of tarantino's film so i th- you know, I think we can kind of rightly see Kill Bill as like a huge homage to to Lady Snowblood. Yeah. Sure, sure, we can we can do that. <laughs> um, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to hear me talk more about a really terrible ripoff of Quinn Tarantino, listen to this uh, Swim Fans episode on uh, Swordfish. Oh, dude, really, nice! It's a really fun episode. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I do, great. I do feel like we're kind of. I, I mean. We we definitely understood where these influences were coming from before we oh, even yeah. started the podcast, and that's something that uh, Tarantino wears on his sleeve. But it is fun to look at these films. We've we've covered a handful of films already that have been uh, you know very inspirational for Tarantino, and uh, it's kind of fun just kind of peeling those layers away. So here well, we I are think again. Inspirational oh, yeah, for no, like I... his whole oeuvre or whatever. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You get the sense he was kind of like dying to to do something that was like more of a direct payoff. Yeah. Because um, even the way that this film and I imagine the manga before it, the way they play with time, um, just the pacing, the contrast of, you know, the violent imagery and the storytelling. It's like it's you see how that really like fueled him even in completely you know, seemingly unrelated movies. So yeah, yeah, and well, I mean, when it, when it comes to our podcast, I like to link our different episodes together, and we can go way back to when we talked ah, about Broken, Broken Oath. Oath. You yeah, know? and it's kind of cool to see how uh, this film uh, was inspiring, even for Broken Oath. And we've seen so many times in Hong Kong cinema where films, you know, are lifting material from other uh, films and. Uh, yeah, definitely here. Yeah, you've got the same situation because, 
Yeah, almost. I I almost went back and listened to that. I haven't listened. Do you guys ever go back and listen to our old episodes? Because I'm always kind of worried about doing that. Not sort of like the really old ones. I'm I'm, I'm scared too. Yeah, that's kind of how I am too. But anyways, um, but you should the listener. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Um, Yeah, do what we say, not what we do. (laughs) It was it was kind of funny because like as this film was progressing, and I had seen this film before, but not under the magnifying glass. Uh, magnifying glass of uh, podcast research and um, I was almost getting flashbacks to it. I was like wait I've seen it oh wait no this is broken oath (laughs) you know that's part like you know the whole like women in prison and the whole like kind of like passing on the vendetta to you Mm -hmm. know the next of kin which is such an ingenious idea it's so ridiculous but I, I love that it was something where it's like, yeah, this is kind of a logical idea. I can't exact my revenge, but I'll have a kid and that kid can do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah totally. It's that. like the the movie has its own sort of moral principles. Um, and I think whenever I first watched it, I was trying to kind of dig in a little bit further and saying like, oh, is there maybe some cultural background that I'm kind of not picking up on? And I think to a degree, yes. Um, but it is, like you're saying, it's more of the original manga taking... I think at the time, a very unique sort of daring take on the depth of vengeance and kind of like this, almost like the spiritual worth of vengeance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And when you go back to the source, like we said, like we're saying, a lot of films are influenced by this. But I would say most of those films, you know, even down to Kill Bill, um, I want to say they they end up contextualizing the vengeance uh, in a bit more of like a moral typical kind of way like we're supposed to see like just the you know the price and the the toll of that and sure Lady snowblood does get into it but in some ways mm-hmm. it i feel like from end to end it's almost like really advocating um yeah. vengeance is like a is like a a pathway to like really like moral purity or something in this case yeah we've talked about it a little bit on this podcast before but it's so cool it it fascinating kind of funny looking at um a lot of the hong kong films too where like in western films it's like oh i got my revenge but what am i now am i just as bad and then hong kong films like oh yeah that was great yeah i just killed the guy and he's gone now so everything's great now freeze frame freeze frame freeze frame the end the end i was about to say roll credits it's not roll credits because they're at the beginnings yeah yeah and there's kind of this like mythical power of the vengeance like the way it gets passed on and it's like yeah it's almost like (laughs) self-aware like a self-aware like spirit um inside of yuki it's yeah it's dude it's a yeah it's amazing i do think that uh, culturally we can think of this film kind of in a similar way that uh we saw the last film lone wolf and cub well i mean obviously we're talking about lady snowblood and we should say that this is also a manga that was adapted yep. into a film at by kazuo koike as well yeah so um he didn't handle the screenwriting on this but he still seemed to have a a, a hand in uh how this was adapted mm-hmm. so um and i i read through because the the manga is only like 16 chapters mm-hmm. something like that and it's a it's a 
70s manga so chapters can be anywhere from like 20 pages to like 100 because mm. it was oh it was wow buck wild back then mm-hmm. um but uh i'm kind of glad that they didn't stick super close to the manga oh for reasons well, oh wow could you say more about that i do um, i do know a little the, bit about she ends up naked a lot <laughs> she gets naked in I it might be every issue. Yeah, it's and like kind of usually the, the way that usually the way that you know she's about to kill a bunch of dudes is that she basically strips naked or gets her clothes cut off and then and yep. then kills all the dudes. Dude, that's so I it's almost out, like they were like catering to like a male manga buying audience. What I was gonna say is it was published like, in a magazine called Weekly Playboy. Yep. Confusingly yeah. not not it's actually not the regional version of no. the Playboy magazine, which confusingly the Japanese edition of Playboy magazine is called Monthly Playboy. <laughs> nice. <laughs> which is very confusing. Um yep. but yeah, Weekly Playboy, uh it, it was still an still very much an adult magazine and mm-hmm. I'm sure it had a, a boob quota. So Yeah, actually um uh not too far from me there's a Japanese marketplace and we would go down there and they have a bookstore and I would see Weekly Playboy there and um it's more like kind of I guess uh, you guys remember like Maxim or something like that. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. more gotcha, along the lines gotcha. of that type of magazine. Like it's, it's not quite as like fancy classy as, as like classy, it has the but also air of something salacious, but it's not, but it's not quite as like trashy dangerous. as like gotcha. Hustler or something. So. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But then they would also publish manga in there. So um, these would mm-hmm. usually be sane in, uh quality manga of course so mm-hmm. lady snowblood definitely falls within that and um yeah so culturally what i was getting at was that um you know we saw this kind of counterculture stuff with lone wolf and cub and uh in a similar way we've got this femme fatale here and in japan around this time the kind of film market was kind of opening up to these things and there's like women in prison films where Meiko Kaji, uh, the actress here, starred in a couple of those. And then uh, there's also like the, it's called Pink Film, which is kind of like sexy sexy movies, like Skinamax kind of stuff for Japan at the time. And um, these kind of all kind of existed in the same space. And even though um, uh, I read that uh, she didn't want to be uh, in a pink film so she kind of moved away from nikatsu i think was the film company she uh did these and these are i mean directly in the line with uh, exploitation and uh it's uh she she's perfectly cast i think that her her persona her her aura that you see on film yeah. is just so extremely intense yeah, totally She's got these eyes that kind of, they look almost bloodshot throughout the film. You can almost, I mean, you can count the times that she blinks throughout the whole movie. And uh, (laughs) she's just completely dedicated to this revenge. And uh, again, we've got this bright red blood, some more very extreme cases of uh, blood spraying. And uh, just like, yeah, yeah, the the way that Chambara is... uh, uh progresses into color film is pretty great mm-hmm. so we get yeah. to see it's those. a very like bright it's kind of like the shaw brothers really bright red mm-hmm. like paint it looks like blood. paint yeah yeah and there was actually a moment in the and you see it in the movie but um i was uh watching an interview with her and they were asking about if there were like any injuries or you know because she hadn't done action movies like this before and she said that um there were no injuries and she felt very confident with the team that she was working with and uh she said uh 
learning to fight basically she's wrapped in a kimono the whole time so learning to fight with a sword while wrapped up you know looking like the way she does was kind of difficult but there was a moment where um she kills a guy and then blood sprays onto her and onto her face and she was like surprised and shocked by it but oh wow i bet <laughs> no no it injuries. looks great in the movie oh it yeah, looks so totally. cool yeah yes yeah. it's interesting thinking of the progression of films and our little arc here uh lady snowblood is um i would say a lot less stately than um certainly like our, <laughs> our earlier films even just the from a production standpoint um the camera is almost always in motion it's never kind of neatly locked down and, and weighted down. There's this handheld feeling to uh, really the majority of the, of the shots in the film. And I think, um, you know, whether intentional or not, it, it all kind of adds to the, um, the kind of derangement um, that I think most of us feel as you, as you kind of progress through this story. So it's, yeah, really interesting um, to see kind of, how we've traveled in this journey i would say like our kind of the earlier black and white films um you know were just these kind of picturesque masterpieces extremely stately quiet things um and our last two color films um it's not (laughs) only that we've like we're bringing in all of this like saturated shades and stuff but um they're they're both much more sort of wildly directed um Mm. Yeah, and they're definitely closely related. We've got two different directors, obviously. And actually, from what I read, Toshia Fujita, the director of this film, these are kind of an exception to the other films that he uh, covered. So I know he did these, they're called Straight Cat. It's like a series. And it's kind of like a, I don't know, I guess kind of in line. I gotta rock this town. (laughs) No. That's Straight Cat, right? Right, right. Um, Dude, beautiful pull. (laughs) <laughs> they're more, they're like kind of like genre movies, and uh, I don't know. She, she, uh, Mako Kaji actually was cast in a couple of those that he did, and um, I don't know. I, I feel like these two films definitely are like its own kind of almost like a niche within the niche of Chambara because it's like this exploitation. They're based on these very extreme works by Koike, but the, when it comes to the Chambara too, they're still they still are here, and I feel like if people wanted to be really hard on us, they would be like, "These aren't like as Chambara as we, you know, yeah, we, we should cover." No, no samurai in this movie. Yeah, but, but we're just kind of running but through she this. Is, and... She is definitely very Ronin-ish of the whole like wandering right. the countryside on a mission. And yeah, a master, and it's and, definitely and, valuable. Like went like viewed in like in relation to the other yes. films agree. we talked yes. about. Yeah. Totally agree. And I also feel like uh, we should say that this film actually takes place in another era of Japanese history. Yeah. So this is post the Meiji Restoration. So this is yeah. basically the end of the samurai and then the kind of introduction to what would be known as modern Japan and mm-hmm. uh you know its influence by Western culture can be seen in the film itself mm-hmm. in different ways. So yeah. it, it is very different, but yeah, Marty, I, I totally agree. I think it's, it's, it's worth talking about within the genre of Chambara and it's honestly, it's super fun. And I wanted us to, it, we, we didn't originally plan on covering another film like this right now. And I was just having so much fun with it. I suggested <laughs> it to you guys and here we are. Yeah. Dude, the score for this movie just owns mm. so hard it's yes, it just does. incredible but yeah yes, we can talk about that anytime <laughs> yeah i will say the whole western influence like 
Meiji era kind of stuff, you see that a lot more in the manga because like it 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 peaks its head, especially in the final act of this movie. But it's all over the manga and like Yuki gets a gun in, I think, chapter four and she actively uses it throughout a lot of the manga. Nice. Um, She uh, it's it again because it's written by a horny man for a horny magazine. There's actually a pretty (laughs) major plot point where um, someone sees up her dress and she's wearing bloomers and they're like, what are those? (laughs) Nice. And and she like agrees to like get like show how to make them to the to like a brothel owner and that's how she like gets out one of the people she's trying to kill. It's there's some wild shit in the manga. <laughs> I can't so, wait to talk about some of it. Okay, but. since you saw it all, I was actually wondering in the manga, I mean obviously mm-hmm. this film, the crux of it is that she needs to get revenge. She yes. does end up getting that revenge. Mm-hmm. Then I mean what what I can say is that, there, I mean, there were two Lady Snowblood films. Yeah. The second one, I'm not really that crazy about. I don't know if you guys watched the second one. I think that if this film... I don't film, think I have, no. Okay, if this film was just the one film, it would be super, super awesome. But they kind of undo a little bit with the second film. It kind of goes <laughs> all over the place. But um, in the manga, I mean, they continue. I mean, she gets the revenge at some point, right? And then they keep keep doing stuff. <laughs> Uh, no, actually. Oh, um, so, so stretches the yeah, so vengeance throughout all the chapters. She, she doesn't get. Uh, she gets revenge on the 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 main. Like the, there's still the four, and like her mom killed the one, and then mm-hmm. she goes after the other three. That still happens in the manga, but she also like other people like hire her out basically to get revenge for them mm. a couple of times, um, like. Uh, let me check my notes. Um, right, there is this one woman that she gets uh, revenge for who she tells about like this photographer that basically tells these young women that he's going to take pictures of them and then takes them to basically to a remote place and and uh, gets yeah. people to uh, assault them and take pictures to mm-hmm. blackmail them. Um, and it's that... Okay, actually, I got to talk about that chapter. Sorry, I just remembered how it... <laughs> Because the way that it ends is it's about what do you expect where like she pretends to be one of the girls that's going to get victimized mm. and there's a lot of rape. Don't <laughs> read it if you have a problem with seeing exploitative yeah. kind of rape stuff. There's <laughs> a lot in it. Um, and the people who do it usually get murdered, but it's still it's still kind of ridiculous. So just be aware of that. Right. Um, but uh, she uh, goes with the, the guy, the photographer and she kills all of his goons. Then the photographer reveals that they're actually a woman. Oh. And then they have sex. There's lesbian sex. There's a lot of lesbian sex in it, actually. Oh. And then after they have lesbian sex, then Yuki just kills her anyway. What a... <laughs> nice. It's buck wild. <laughs> I do know in a lot of those women in prison... Uh, films like yeah, lesbian yeah. stuff was always like kind of a thing. Or, yeah, you know. yeah, it's kind of the the the, the forbidden fruit or whatever. Yeah. yeah, it's it's kind of it's a pretty recurring thing that uh, that Yuki is uh, a lesbian and has relationships with a lot of different women throughout it. Oh, um, and 
and in the and in the um but anyways connecting to what you were actually asking um she gets her revenge on a lot of people and kills a lot of other people between hunting the remaining three people and then the last chapter it's funny the last chapter is actually about her um hunting down the uh uh bonzo actually oh bonzo um, oh the one so, they handled yeah the last first? Chapter, the last chapter is bonzo but that's the first one in the movie yeah oh okay ah um, gotcha but it actually but it ends it ends a similar way we'll, we'll get to it but it, it ends it's a pretty similar thing but it's just that's just the end of it after she she kills him and nice. has like a little bit of a, a soliloquy about revenge and stuff Okay, cool, cool. Well, so. I mean, our preface to the movie has been a little long, but before we jump <laughs> in, I, w- I wanted to just cover a couple of things because, um, I mean, we talked about Kill Bill, and that was obviously related or influenced by uh, this film, but there was also um, a film called, uh, it's it's called Shurayuki Hime 2001, and uh, it mm. was actually released here as The Princess Blade. And it doesn't, it looks more like it's related to Versus than it's related to <laughs> Lady Snowblood. I mean, 2001, oh, wow, we're definitely in this era. But the right. reason that I wanted to mention it, and I don't think I've ever seen it, so I want to kind of try and track it down, is that um, the action is directed by Donnie Yen in this oh, Japanese dear. film. So, um, hey. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I, I think, I, I mean, I'm willing to bet that it's probably on YouTube, but I, it was <laughs> released here at, at around the same time so that's that's pretty cool and um regarding fighting game stuff there aren't many fighting game characters that are influenced by her which is too bad because that's pretty cool archetype for a character but um in soul Calibur, there's a character named setsuka who's uh basically uh lady snowblood in the game she's got an umbrella blade and she's wearing a kimono she looks kind of aesthetically the similar so uh i for all the fighting game people you probably already know but yeah she's she's in there that's pretty cool there was a, another uh there was like a i, I guess basically a follow-up manga by koike called shurayuki hime gaiden that came out in 2006 and um hmm. it's not by the same artist and i forget the artist's name for the original manga but um the artist that he went with for the gaiden version in 2006 is ryoichi ikigami who's the um really great manga artist and he worked with kazu koike for crying freeman are you guys familiar with crying freeman at all uh, only no, through so. the context of looking of, of seeing it for this show I oh okay in in the 90s when anime was starting to really come out in the west i remember that uh viz released crying freeman here and there's also a live action crying freeman film and Mark Dacascos played the lead in in that, which is pretty cool. And um, uh, seeing his art, but in Lady Snowblood, looks super good. That dude's crazy good artist. I love him. Oh, awesome! Yeah, cool. yeah. So those are just a couple of things that I looked up. There was also like a one shot. Princess shot. Blade is available entirely on YouTube. FYI. Oh, great! <laughs> there you go. Check it out. <laughs> nice. I'll, I'll check it out. I'll scrub through to see the fights. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, for real. And in 2011, this was the most recent one that I found. Um, there was like a, a TV special of Shurayuki Hime in Japan, and I couldn't find footage of it anywhere. However, that film was the basis for a pachinko, a pachinko game. <laughs> <laughs> so there's Shurayuki Hime CR, which is a pachinko game based on Lady Snowblood in Japan. Cool. And most people agree that that's the ultimate adaptation of, <laughs> yeah. the, that's, of the story. That's the, final, that's the final evolution of media is pachinko. Yep. 
Dude, when I went to... It's the crab of, of media. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I went to Japan in 2008, and we were doing all the nerdy stuff, like in all the places, and uh, going through a pachinko parlor was the loudest space I've ever been in <laughs> in my entire life. Oh, man, it was that's, like that's amazing. crazy how loud that place was. <laughs> and I used to work in an airport. <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty crazy. But yeah, those are those are just some things I wanted to bring up before we talk about mm-hmm. the movie. All right, well, let's jump into the movie itself. Uh, but first, let's take a look at the back of the VHS. The cries of a newborn child echo through a prison corridor. The purity of the snow that falls contradicts her fate as she is beset with a harsh wrath handed down from her mother. Yuki has been forged into the blade that will exact vengeance on the ones that have wronged her family and only blood will satisfy her sword. Toshia Fujita brings you another story from the mind of Kazuo Koike. Meiko Kaji stars as the unstoppable Yuki Kashima in Lady Snowblood. So the movie starts with the thing that makes all movies great at the beginning with the crying baby. <laughs> I like how this film starts with a baby being born in Lone Wolf and Cub was like oh. a baby being killed <laughs> oh you're right yeah totally well there's something there's something that. similar too about the tone and even just like the pacing yeah. of the prologues of both films mm-hmm. yeah this kind of very shocking kind of pulls you into this world in such a dramatic way it's pretty fun but yeah it starts off in this prison where we see um the woman who we'll find out is uh our lady snowblood who they usually just call yuki uh her her mother uh, Sayo is she's, she's giving birth to a baby in prison and that sucks <laughs> that sounds like <laughs> the worst thing in the world yeah. but yeah that it's it's some it's really and it's it's so cool because like the it's snowing like crazy outside yeah and, and like it's the and it's like the middle no, of the night it's completely mm-hmm. dark otherwise yeah and we, we should mention here that this is on the this has a criterion release it's on the criterion channel channel and it looks amazing yeah yeah one of the things i mean with i basically all of these episodes for our chambara arc all of these films are available through criterion which is pretty Mm -hmm. cool and i mean i don't know i mean watching these films you you do understand how special they are but it is kind of interesting to me to see how i don't know maybe it's yeah what kinds of movies are are like yeah in that group of yeah high high art or whatever i almost feel like it's like the the Kurosawa effect, like Akira Kurosawa's films are held in such high regard. And then that Mm. kind of is maybe like the entry, the gateway drug to all these other films that kind of, you know, relate. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Mm. Um, But I've got to say in the, even in the last, you know, five or six years, um, there's been a lot more like Hong Kong love um, from some of these, from some of these places than, yeah than I ever remember seeing. Um, so yeah, that's pretty exciting too. One thing I want to say real quick about the, um, the, one of the things that, that the mother says to uh, baby Yuki is that uh, she's an Asura demon, which I thought that was cool. Cause that's a thing that I've, I've, I've ran into in a few different pieces of Japanese media about Asura and Deva or which are like in, in Buddhism, they're kind of like competing. They're, not exactly angels and demons, but that's kind of the closest 
yeah. comparison you can really think of where it's like they're not it's not gods but they're like you know powerful beings that some are like you know divine and like kind of holy in a way and then some are like fueled by like wrath and anger and things right. yeah right. usually in like japanese pop culture like in video games or movies or whatever comics when you hear of an ashura it's like a multi-armed multi-faced kind of like uh, yeah like a demigod or some type of mm -hmm. malevolent creature so like i don't know like in a final fantasy game you can summon something like that and it'll just tear everybody up mm -hmm. <laughs> um but uh i mean since you mentioned that we we also yeah the, so the original japanese title of this is called shurayuki hime and that's actually a, a play on the the japanese title for snow white so um oh uh, cool yeah yeah oh wow that's beautiful um the japanese title is shurayuki shurayuki hime which is basically like Snow White. And then he plucked that out and put Shura, so like the vengeance that we see in this film and tying it to the snow. So that's that's pretty fun to think about too. Wow, that's awesome. I love that. Snow, it's like calling a movie Snow Red or something. Yeah, yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a great localization, dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so... Um, Lady uh, Snowblood rules as a name, though. That, it is. Yeah, that, tells, sure. that tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, and uh, we get to see her uh, very shortly after this scene. So we've got kind of your more Chambara-esque scene where you've got, uh, it's a nighttime, it's snowing, and you've got a little caravan and uh, a woman in a kimono with a purple umbrella walking in the path. And she interrupts this caravan and you've got kind of the Chambara like, hey, get out of the way. And uh, it's revealed to be our star. Yeah, and she and she messes up these dudes. It's so good. And there's, and we see all of like the, like the, the, red paint blood spurting everywhere and like you know obviously it pops awesome on the snow and everything and then we after she introduces herself as, as lady snow blood then we get this amazing opening song yeah totally <laughs> Yeah, so this bit of action almost is like a great cold open or something. Right. And uh, the song is actually, the lyrics were written by Kazuo Koike. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and the, it's sung by our, by our star, Meiko Kaji. Yep. <laughs> And yeah, this song and her song from um, the the female prison scorpion film, those are both used in Kill Bill. So if yes. anybody recognizes those, that's where they're mm -hmm. from usually. Yeah. And that's because I, I I I felt like I recognized it, and I was thinking, I'll bet this was in Kill Bill. And then I looked it up, like, yep, it was. Yeah, it was um, funny. I was also talking. also uh, Alex said that if we ever do. Um, female prisoners seven do you say it's 701 or 701 or no. yeah sure it's fine um but if you ever if, if we ever if we ever do those uh movies then he has to be on the episode so sounds like a good time to me dude that sounds great <laughs> um i was talking with uh my wife about the film and uh 
she's got the Kill Bill soundtrack, and I was like, yeah, you, you've heard the song from this already. She's like, oh, really? And I was, I looked it up, and I was playing it. She's like, oh, yeah, that's one of the songs I would skip. <laughs> I was <Yeah>. like, Dang, <laughs> that was cold, Joanna. <laughs> Dude, because it's too tragic, man. It's like, <laughs> yeah. It is very sad. You'd have it's, to pull it's off a little more sad compared to, cry, like, man. Ironside or whatever, so. <laughs> yeah. Right. Nice. Um, but but yeah, this is all in a like a, a montage of her like training and, and walking. Yeah, I, yeah. I love and the, the lyrics shot are of... very literal, like about her journey and <laughs> yeah, that's true. The too. vengeance that she's filled with. It's, on the it's pretty cool. I love the shot of her training uh, with the waves crashing behind her. That's so cool. Mm, yeah. And then, yeah, I don't know if we've mentioned it already, but yeah, the film is is like literally broken into chapters like we have title mm-hmm. cards um for yeah, the different sections of the story yeah yeah oh yeah and actually it's a pretty consistent narrator um yeah. throughout the throughout the film and yeah. yeah it's and that's similar to the the manga will would do that even within chapters the if it was a particularly long chapter it would be broken up to parts within the chapter and they would all have titles similar to uh to this and the the manga would have like almost like textbook little excerpts describing like basically like this is like this character is based on this real thing that happened in the Meiji era or oh I love stuff like uh, that which is oh which is interesting I mean it sounds like a great educational book for kids yeah you should yeah get all of your kids that I guarantee they'll they'll be talking about it the whole ride home (laughs) yeah totally (laughs) (laughs) oh man but yeah so uh we after our title sequence, we um, jump into chapter one, which I think is yeah, uh, vengeance binds love and hate. But yeah, she goes to this uh, to this village, and she's trying to like find this like yakuza leader. And this is this is straight up in the manga. This is from uh, chapter this is from chapter six of the manga, where nice uh, these people are like, oh yeah, we'll show you where the leader is, and they lead her into the into the woods and. Um, she doesn't get naked and kill them in the movie, though. She just kill, or she doesn't even kill them. Actually, she gets stopped by the actual Yakuza leader. Dude, um, you know, I hadn't thought of it because um, I didn't realize that title reference. But rewatching this just now, this is almost like a little bit of a Snow White Seven Dwarves, <laughs> yeah, riff kind nice. of. It's yeah. like these this weird band of people and. Yeah, uh, I could imagine this uh, hewing pretty close to the manga. Kind of like um, some of the zanier parts of uh, the Lone Wolf movie is, um, you know, the costuming is like a little more broad and stuff here for these um, these kind of dark, dark dudes. But um, yeah. Yeah. Now I'm like, which one's dopey? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Matsuemon looks like the, the main guy. He looks pretty dopey to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's yeah. and he's. Because he has, uh, like, he either has one leg or can't use a leg, but he's like hopping into the scene, yeah, um, with his with his crutch, yeah. Um, and she ends up coming to them to try and track down these targets, you know, the people she's mm-hmm. getting vengeance on, and um, yeah, that's when you first kind of get them their names listed, and the, yeah. this first chapter focuses on her exacting revenge on uh, Bonzo Takimura. Yeah, which again is crazy because that's that's literally the last chapter of the of the manga. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I I mean there is something almost extra dramatic of how this chapter plays out compared to the mm-hmm. finale. But uh, yeah, they kind of place 
uh, other dude, uh, Gishio, as like the kind of big bad because it's like mm-hmm. there's a whole like mystery behind whether mm-hmm. he's alive or dead and how that plays out. But I, I, yeah, I think for me, like the chapter, like if you were to split chapters live on their own, this one would be my favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree with yeah, that because this could, is definitely I could feel that. This is in addition to the story of her tracking down Bonzo and, and killing him. This is also where we get the entire like backstory about like who her mother was and why right. her family got killed and and why she wanted to start this revenge to begin with. Um, yeah, she's talking to Matsuemon trying to get this information and it, it goes into kind of like a scroll with some artwork saying uh, what's going on during this Meiji restoration. So um, it seems like. Yeah, uh, the government kind of was enacting a draft. And then with that draft, you've got uh, kind of peasants that are uprising. And then uh, they're seeing certain people as representatives of the government and they're executing them. And uh, this jumps us towards um, her, her family. They're walking into a village and they're looking super happy and everything seems great. <laughs> and the grass is green and flowers are bloom. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, very quickly you realize that this isn't going to last long. So one of the key factors that they mention in this scroll, text scrawl is that um, the these people that were kind of like pawns of the government or said to be wearing white and you see the family and the the father who says that he's arriving into the village as a uh it's koichi village he's arriving as the new teacher he's wearing Mm -hmm. all white it's like well this isn't gonna end well (laughs) yeah yeah and they get they get jumped by some guys who who kill him and take uh take the sayo away and 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 rape her actually in another rice mill <laughs> yeah and actually yeah. Handled and the very sim- similar. similar sound design to yeah yes. it, yeah it's, it's it feels like it's it's kind of overtly influenced by mm-hmm. by that scene so i could yeah. totally see that yeah uh the one thing i also wanted to mention is that you see here like i mentioned this guy's wearing white and it's a very western suit that he's wearing he's got mm-hmm. like this right. kind of flat cap and even yeah, the yeah. the killers here they come and they're they're wearing like their Japanese garb, but they have like top hats on and yeah, uh, you know, yeah. little flashes of Western influence. And you see that mm-hmm. kind of escalate as the movie, uh, uh, yeah. you know, progresses. But uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is with the action. I mean, th- this isn't a fight. This is them just murdering him. And you actually <laughs> get really great kind of exploitation mm-hmm. kind of style thing where yeah. every time they person's stabbing at him there's a freeze frame and it shows their name yeah and these are the yeah. targets for the rest of and the this, film and the soundtrack like completely cuts away it's yeah. really mm-hmm. arresting yeah, I love yeah. It. And that yeah, is totally. that is straight up from the manga whenever they whenever they depict this uh whole flashback scene they they do the exact same thing where it's like it's just a panel of like the person's face as they're they're stabbing the the guy nice there are a couple of moments that i'm actually pretty interested i wish i knew more about but um you know in chambara films we've seen a handful of these so far and whenever they're sword fighting 
you get these swipes past your opponent and you get these moments where you stab into an opponent but you you definitely can tell that they're staging the shot so they're not actually like stabbing into the people but it's like kind of just placed off to the right or whatever within their clothing but there's a couple moments in this movie and one of them <laughs> is right here where it looks like they actually like a, a knife goes into a person so i don't know if they have like a prop katana blade or what but i'm just really interested in how they did that or if there's kind of mm -hmm. cleverly placed padding but um later on there's a scene where uh it's another flashback where uh, sayo kills one of these guys herself and you see her stab right into him and it's like whoa it, it looks like yeah. she actually like stabbed him which is pretty cool yeah and then within the or kind of we get a brief break from the flashback where we see uh, we see Yuki at her, her mother's grave, and that leads to another flashback. Yeah, there's a lot of flashbacks uh, here. A lot of flashbacks. Got a, got, a lot of, got a lot of stuff you gotta fill in. And this is where we uh, find out that the the mother basically was, like, people called her, I think they say they called her a nymphomaniac is the way they translated it. <laughs> right. Um, but she basically just slept with as many guards and, and people as she could in the prison. Because she wanted specifically to get pregnant and have a kid that would carry on the revenge, yeah. which is yeah, wild, dude. It's like a haunting idea. Um, yeah, that's like some really like effective how they depict it in this galaxy kind of brain stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. It is, uh, but, but yeah, also the co the confidence that she point. has in the plan. Again, there's this this kind of like mysticism to the vengeance. Um, you know, she's absolutely certain that she's going to be able to pass on. Um, mm -hmm. you know, the lust for vengeance, like absolutely to whoever this child will be. Um, and there's, there's kind of a great moment where, um, one of the other prisoners, uh, brings up like, oh, and this is why you said you wanted to have a strong boy, uh, mm -hmm. give birth to a strong boy. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I feel like it's a nice way to kind of like hang a lantern on the fact that it's like, yes, this is like a female driven um, hero or anti-hero or whatever mm. um and yeah just incredibly effective use of of the flashbacks um it's yeah i i mean this this is a film to study i think um when looking at just phenomenal examples of storytelling through flashback and not only that but i mean in this second sequence we've got a flashback within a flashback <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Which is so crazy. There's also an interesting right. technique where uh when okay so the flashback is of her giving birth and then it goes from that flashback to uh you know the 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 watermill assault and then her life cuz she's whisked away to Tokyo by one of the uh assault like the people that assaulted her and then she takes out her revenge against him and that's actually what mm -hmm. ended up putting her in uh, uh, prison because she was arrested but uh, this is uh, one that seemed IRS saying where you can kind of see a knife go into him but also there's this kind of cool uh, device where they have these stills but they seem like they're stills from a film so like you see all these kind of monochrome right. or sepia tone uh, stills of like the, mm -hmm. the gangsters and all the corruption that they're dealing with and then uh, once it cuts to her with that man it kind of goes into motion and it turns into film. So I thought that that was a pretty cool technique. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, and then we also get a flashback to jumping forward a little bit. Um, we get to see uh, Yuki uh, was kind of raised by this, this uh, 
kind of monk guy who uh teaches her kind of how to how to survive and and sword fighting and and everything Dude. And one of the one of the, the main ways that he trades her <laughs> yes. is by pushing her down a hill in a barrel which yeah. i thought was cool she gets to do everything um, we wanted to do guys she gets the exact <laughs> right. revenge she gets to roll down a hill in a barrel it's awesome yeah <laughs> and yeah it's so fascinating that there's like this religious leader um is just utterly willing to like follow this vengeance plan yeah he's um, brutal i actually so yeah, want, it's like yeah. you might have to check some of your like um kind of pre-baked yeah moral conventions or whatever about how we might look at children because it's um <laughs> you know everyone that we kind of identify with as as more heroic in the film they're all on board for this plan of um really raising her into this to be this vengeance machine yeah and it's something that i mean it's like this psychosis that you would think that uh, any human being seeing this like the way that this plot unfolds would be like yeah this person's gonna just end up being a crazy person hmm. but yeah like you said marty there's something kind of cool about kind of the laws of this film where it's like this dedication and this almost like almost its own religion of her vengeance you know yeah totally <laughs> she, she's not like this twisted corrupt person she's just completely focused on one thing and that's just killing these guys um mm-hmm. i actually would love i mean i i'm probably gonna try and check out the manga myself but this dude dokai the the, the monk here like what's he like in the manga is this a, a good representation He's- of him He's, I mean, he's in it a little bit. He's, I features more prominently in one that I didn't pay too terribly close attention to. Mm. But he's more, he's a little more active in her modern day life than she is than than he is in the movie. Oh, okay. Oh, and, interesting. Um, that ends up happening like, later in the film. Yeah, uh, and also we should say that he is played by uh, Ko Nishimura, who we saw. He was the he's the uncle in uh, Sword of Doom. Oh, nice. Good pull, man. I didn't oh, recognize dude. him, but yeah, yeah I, I, I didn't connect totally that either. The, the other thing I wanted to also mention is that the, the there's like the, the sex montage of Sayo like having sex with all these dudes. And <laughs> oh, the, yeah. The first one they show is like a monk, dude, and he's got yeah, his prayer like beads. He's, he's like, like praying, praying while, he's doing it. while he's doing it with her. It's yeah. great. <laughs> and this kind of the the training montage of her as a uh, of Yuki mm-hmm. kind of culminates in this really wild well i mean first there's like a moment of nudity where like i feel like this is something that in the movie doesn't make as much sense but in the manga you'd be like oh yeah this is something that happens. i was literally going to say this happens in the manga where she's the the eight-year-old girl is completely naked which is obviously a little problematic but um in the manga it kind of does make sense because that's a thing that happened has happened already in the in the series as you've read it yeah. and happens many times again where she basically gets naked that distracts the people and she's able to go in for the kill right but then uh after that you get the the rolling of the barrel again and it's like kind yeah. of like the proof of how good she is now and he's got a sword <laughs> and yeah. he's gonna slice at the barrel and she jumps out mm-hmm. and saves herself yeah. in time which is great mm-hmm. so yeah, good totally. And this leads to chapter two of the movie, Bamboo Wives and Tears of Wrath, um, which, again, this this specifically is the final chapter of the manga. Wow, that's so see, cool. Yeah, yeah, where we see um, Bonzo and his uh, daughter 
uh, Koboy, and she's like taking care of him because he's this old, like you know, sad, <laughs> this sad old sickly man. Um, and she's uh, making these bamboo wives. I don't one hundred percent know what the yeah. So I is. I did look those um, up, and they're kind of like these. Um, they're like almost kind of a very crudely human form shape, like big bamboo woven figure and actually one of the things i read was that people would use those to sleep with because you could wrap your arms and legs around them and they were open form oh. so you would get airflow so it'd keep you cool in the heat so like like a like a body pillow kind of thing yeah kind of <laughs> there's no anime girls on it yeah, not yet <laughs> not <Every> yet <laughs> i'm sure um, dude i'm sure there's a lady snowblood anime pillow out there come on there's one thousand percent yep but um, um, this is really interesting to me, though, because I, I, I don't know. I, I, I do think it's really cool. One, the introduction of uh, Bonzo's daughter and then kind of yeah. the subtleties and how they play her character. So you see her making these and she has a warm relationship with her father and they seem like they're on hard times. and They're just trying to make ends meet. And she's she says that she she sells. Wow, that was hard. She says that she <laughs> she sells, but it's also literally by the seashore, by the seashore dude. Seashore. So yeah, it's about it to get. Yeah. Oh man! But then you see her take those and toss them, yeah, into the seashore, yeah. and it's like yeah. super hap- happily though. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, apart from yeah, maybe the kind of <laughs> trickiness around how she runs her business, uh, she definitely is kind of depicted as as really more of an innocent and yeah uh we talk about yuki as being like from the netherworld and here's this other young woman um you know who isn't at least (laughs) seemingly bound to that same kind of vengeful fate and boy it's so powerful when they first kind of share a frame together yeah it's really good at this point i have to mention the way that they meet in the manga is that uh yuki hears that um, that Bonzo is selling. I think they translate as Hanzo in the Dark Horse release from I think 2005 or something. Okay. Um, but they, he, she finds out that Bonzo is selling these these uh, bamboo women, and and selling them to like specifically to brothels. So the in the manga she uh. goes like undercover a bunch and like takes on different jobs and different like. It's kind of like a cutie honey thing. Like it's oh, kind of nice. the, uh, like the pretending to be someone else or going in disguise. Mm. Um, and the, the, the thing that she does in this is she literally becomes a dildo salesperson. Nice. <laughs> like, like she she finds like these people that are selling like these special dildos essentially and is going to different places and asking about a person that's selling these bamboo women. And again, leads, and great Christmas back. gift for. <laughs> Fun for the whole family. <laughs> um, well, I'll talk about Santa Claus, that's for sure. Uh, but that leads that leads him to to Koboy, and 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 it plays out pretty similarly from from this point on. Oh, okay. Where she I, sees him throwing into the ocean. One, I do. I love how she looks. Uh, Yuki has this striped black and white, or navy blue and white kimono that looks so amazing on her. Plus, um, with her like pale comple- complexion and the the you know her striking eyes, it's just like perfect look to me. And uh, two, the, just her reaction when she finds out that Cowboy's name you know and the relation yeah. that she has to bonzo's is, is, that's really cool and it's really well done 
And we find out that, of course, since uh, uh, Kobe is not actually selling them, she's she's uh, a prostitute and or a sex worker, I guess. It's a nice way to say it. But um, and that's how she's making ends meet. Again, it's it's a it's it's kind of funny seeing it. I do like the way that the movie does it, but it is kind of weird seeing that the movie in the middle of it, it's showing just how sad this man is Mm -hmm. and yuki's just like i don't care i'm still gonna murder you yeah i think that's super cool and it's a very Mm -hmm. exploitation but i mean see you know he he you almost want to feel like they're playing it for sympathy but at the same time it's like the shock that she just doesn't care and she right i'm gonna kill you anyway well and i think they walk a really interesting line um you know that imagery by the seashore at night um and he's on his knees it's like oh man it kind of gets him poisoned into your brain or mm-hmm. whatever yeah um but yeah at first as he's like kind of bowing and begging um i remember thinking like oh is is he just kind of like accepting this fate um which would be sort of interesting but i think the fact that he's groveling and and literally asking for her to like spare him yeah we're kind of i feel like walking this interesting line but i feel like just on the side of like there's something pitiful enough about that um in yuki's eyes where um it doesn't yeah i don't think it really gives her much pause yeah and uh, you know where the story leads to that moment there's there's a short scene where she's staking out this kind of gambling den and she ends up going in because she knows bonzo's gonna be there and then uh it ends up being where he's like cheating and it, they look like hanafuda cards you ever see those little japanese playing cards yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i think actually i think nintendo made us well i think nintendo one of the things they made was hanafuda cards like before they made yeah. video games but yeah, there's like right. actually actually almost in this era like in the 1880s yeah, yeah sure and um she ends up saving him from um mm-hmm. you know the hamakatsu i forget the name of the dudes but she saves them and he doesn't quite understand but she's like you know i'm gonna save you you come with me i have to take you somewhere we have unfinished business and i love she has a line where she says i've been sent to escort you to where you truly belong (laughs) it's like oh that's a good one that's so good dude that's so good yeah it leads to what you were saying marty this it, it almost looks like a day for night shot you know with the right, by the right. by the ocean but i think it works really well and uh yeah he he begs for forgiveness he begs for his life mm-hmm. he even says something like you know my daughter i have a daughter what about my daughter and she she just kills him and again mm-hmm. we get this you know rich blood that even in this like day for night shoot and even him falling into the ocean there's so much blood that you it's it's overcome yeah. you know when you, i also yeah. love how fujita cuts away to all these shots just of the waves um mm-hmm. roaring and it's yeah really really memorable moment and we're starting to get a sense through this whole sequence that um you know for yuki it's not it's not enough that basically um these the four people on her list suffer and it's not enough that they die it must be at her hand um yeah and that's yeah. that's something that we kind of like we end up really pushing that concept um kind of in the rest you know through the rest of the movie mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and one thing really quick the the card scene doesn't happen in this chapter in the manga but there is a scene where 
she's playing cards and she gets caught cheating and hey guess what some for some reason gets naked and kills a bunch of people so <laughs> nice I'm gonna- i haven't been to vegas but it sounds like that does happen <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that that concludes this uh this chapter really strong really strong if this yeah, was its yeah, own movie real. that would be plenty yeah and in the manga after she kills him she in the movie she basically says to Koboe, hey go to go to tokyo and and like this place will take care of you there and she's like oh well, i can't leave my dad I'm like uh okay <laughs> um but in the manga she goes to Koboe after uh she kills bonzo and says like you like your father basically your father uh, killed himself threw himself off the shore and oh. said to and said you should go to this place to take care of you so i like how this movie handles it because it really Me sets too. the chess piece for her to yeah you know, yeah i'm the one that wants revenge now and i mean mm-hmm. even in kill bill we could see that when uh the bride kills uh what's her face and tells the, the her daughter like hey if you, oh yeah if like you hey up, you have yeah you if you're still raw me. about it is that what yeah, she yeah. Said? something, something yeah, like that so great yeah That's such a really good. good but you can see that right here it's, mm. yeah so the chapter three starts and it's such a strong start to this chapter you just see oh, her looking so, so intense and what you realize is that she's looking at the gravestone of uh gishio sukamoto one of the other uh assault uh, you know one of her targets and uh her vengeance has been stolen from her and she's pissed yeah she's so mad that this person's already dead i love it that's super cool it's a really cool idea i love it and it kind of throws the viewer you know there's throws a wrench at the viewer as well you know because you're expecting her to just track down all these people but now what happens when one of them's already gone so uh Mm. yeah this kind of develops into uh something else where um she leaves but she strikes the headstone and as she's leaving there's a man that's arriving and once he realizes that the headstone's been struck he that puts her on her on his radar Mm -hmm. yeah and they they kind of she he tails her and she kind of gives him the slip and is able to 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 kind of circle back around to find him um yeah we find out that he's a that he's like a he's a writer and he writes for like a kind of like a kind of like a trashy magazine yeah <laughs> he's like, like, a news- like a tabloid yeah he's a newspaper publisher and mm-hmm. uh he likes to track down like the hot uh you mm-hmm. know stories and now she's part of that um there's a moment just slightly before we get into his whole deal where she goes to like her crew matsuemon and um uh you know these kind of goons and she's She's trying to find Okono because Okono's the only the woman is the only one left now, and um, I, that Matsuemon, that weirdo looking dude, I was getting like some Lou Albano energy from that guy. <laughs> oh, dude, nice. <laughs> totally oh my gosh. So dude. um, but I also looked into the actor. So he's played by Hitoshi Taga- Takagi, and he actually had quite a, a stellar uh career in voice acting, and uh. Some of the voices that he's uh, covered are uh, Totoro in My Neighbor Totoro. He, oh, nice. He played Snorlax in the Pokemon show. <laughs> and he played Yoda in the Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So um, that was pretty cool. And I 
I never thought to look into the Japanese voice cast for Star Wars, but it's actually kind of <laughs> cool. And actually, Lando Calrissian is played by Norio Akimoto, who's one of my favorite Japanese voice actors. He played Cell in Dragon Ball Z. He's M. Bison in the Street Fighter game. <laughs> he's he's awesome. <laughs> and um, yeah, I just I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever watch Star Wars dubbed in Japanese. That would be like <laughs> peak anime nerd carlos yeah <laughs> yeah i do that's, but that's pretty actually. cool um and this uh hitoshi takagi also played uh the voice for shundi in virtual fighter 2 and 3 who's the drunken master character that i play as so i thought that oh, was cool really cool yeah. dude nice yep. and then there's a moment when uh they show uh yuki walking through the, the town right when he starts to tail her and um there's like this taiko flute like song that's like super it's yeah. a jam dude it's really good mm-hmm. and as this film goes forward the music almost gets funkier as the movie progresses because <laughs> yeah because whenever we see when we see um ryu is the name of the writer guy yeah and whenever we see him writing in his office it's like this almost film noir kind of like jazz yeah totally to it mm-hmm. well and it was also great is uh it's just one of those beautiful um, kind of like writing sequences. And what's awesome is, you know, we don't just have this kind of like double exposure thing with his face and his hand, but we also, so are these actual panels? I think they are. I'm pretty sure they're actual panels from the manga. That's awesome. Um, I just love the idea that like such an early comic book adaptation is already so smart at how it's kind of like, playing with the material and like showcasing yeah. it um yeah and it's yeah, it's cool man, yeah he so he's basically spreading the news of shurayuki hime through his yeah. newspaper and uh she hasn't told him anything so she's like what the hell what's going on so she actually ends up going back to dokai the monk and he tells her yeah i told him everything <laughs> yeah she's <laughs> like that's kind of yeah, specifically weird. <laughs> so that the so that okona will reveal herself yeah um, if once the story gets around and so in the manga there is a person who writes a novel and it becomes like this recurring story in the newspapers and spreads the word about Lady Snowblood. Um, but the writer is actually like a completely different character. Oh. It's like this really weird gotcha. eccentric guy that um, you're actually introduced because he's like uh, laying down on train tracks and he's like Whoa. waiting to kill himself. <laughs> and whenever she shows up, he's like, he basically says, like, oh, yeah, I won't kill myself if, uh, and, and I'll tell you all about my story. It all starts with it. And she, he goes on this long tirade as this train is, like, slowly approaching. Oh, my God. Which that's is, funny. Which is, it's really funny. It's just, a lot of the manga really isn't that funny, and that actually made me laugh. So I was like, okay, nice. that's, there's, there's a little bit of humor in there. That's he's great. a whole does, different weird character. Oh, man. And it does sound like a pretty smart consolidation for mm-hmm. for the film yeah. version. Wow. And I think that that Ashio uh, Ryude his his character is pretty cool. And um, yeah, I like him. Uh, yeah. The I like dude, it a lot. Yeah, the dude that plays him, uh, Toshio Kurosawa. That's the guy. No relation. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's, I mean, I know it's 
I I thought he there's actually, a lot of last names in Japanese. So. Yeah, I thought he has a very Sunny Chiba look to him. He he yeah, he I has totally the same build. He's got the same complexion. He's got the same kind mm-hmm. of leading man look to him and Mm -hmm. uh yeah i i i kind of looked into him and he had quite a career and actually as an older man he also looks like sunny chivo which is pretty cool but um (laughs) yeah i I think his role in this film is really great and what we see here is that uh, of course he wrote this story and then the police come and shake him down and i it's actually just around the same time where cowboy is coming over and finding out um about yuki so she uh she read the story just like everyone else did. So this kind of incites her vengeance a little more. And um, before um, she really gets into things, the cops show up and take him away. So now he's going to get his ass beat because he's... <laughs> oh, dude, and the police music? <laughs> yeah. That is... Oh, yeah, yeah. That's my favorite. Yeah, it's super good. Although it kind of lets... It kind of... I don't know, tips you in a direction that's like, oh, can't wait for these guys to show up. And they're really just like scummy policemen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, totally like violating this yeah, they, know, noble a journalist or whatever. Yeah, you see him all tied up and they're beating the crap out of him. And there's actually, I mean, for me, it was a really scary <laughs> shot where they're beating him up and it's zooming in on him. And then there's like one frame where uh, Okono shows up in the background at like the floor beneath, and it it freezes and zooms in on her. Like, yeah, it's freaky. It's almost like a I don't know, like a ghost footage or something. Where it's like, it is. You know, we found a ghost. Did you see that? Oh man, it's so bad. I was like, what just (laughs) happened? I kind of got scared. (laughs) Yeah, Um, but yeah, that's that's how uh, we kind of get introduced to okono in the in the modern day um which the way we're introduced to okono in the modern day in the manga is that she's masturbating Uh in the back room nice yep and they spend a good couple of pages on that and i was like all right all right i i get it all right (laughs) there's a lot there's a lot of the manga that made me say all right i get it nice (laughs) that's awesome were there any footnotes for that? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But we, um, the the way that uh, Yuki kind of swoops into to save the day. Oh, this is great! Uh, I love it. Is is the way that it starts? Is we see her umbrella like flying down, um, into the into the courtyard, and we see her hiding like up on one of the rooftops. I love that too because they show that rooftop for a moment before. Then they show the umbrella. Mm-hmm. Then they cut back to it, and then she just appears there. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's awesome. And you always, you also get this strange moment where Okono is doing like some kind of, I don't know, Buddhist chant or some type of curse yeah. or something. Yeah. But the lighting's really cool. There's like a green spotlight over her. That's that seems to be the. Uh, I feel like in in a lot of the Hong Kong and the Japanese movies, that's like the the shorthand for weird weird <laughs> magic stuff. Yeah. <laughs> no yeah good observation um but yeah but she this is you were mentioning earlier about the like the blood geyser that kind of splatters all over her face and it's it's a really cool it's a really cool bit i think i think that's here that might be the yeah no there. you're right that's in the sequence There's... here it's a and kind of the biggest action sequence of the whole film mm-hmm. and uh she yeah she's tearing up these cops pretty uh um confidently and you never 
get a sense of her skills with the sword. You know that she's good and she's a killer, but um, you don't get like I don't know the Chambara like you know mm-hmm. samurai skills going on. She's yeah. definitely tearing all these dudes up. But um, yeah, she enters the house and yeah, now we get a gun. Uh, Okono has a gun. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. She's shooting at uh, Yuki. And there's a really, there's also another really cool shot where Yuki hides behind a wall, and then you just see her peeking out. But I mean, her expression is so striking. I think mm-hmm. it yeah. just works it works so well. And also, she throws like a like a they call it a sand bomb. It's kind of like a, a smoke grenade out. Yeah. And believe it or not, this actually is in the manga. Oh, um, nice. She, oh, she, wow. she only she only uses it once, which is weird that it, they introduce it once, but then not really again. But yeah, it's it's in a completely unrelated story to to the rest of this. Um, it's actually it's a weird one because it's all about like her infiltrating like a circus, which is kind of cool. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> and actually, one of the one of the attractions is the uh, they call her the Snake Woman, but she's like the um, uh, was it Rukurukubi something like that the the snake oh. like the long neck yokai Rokurokubi lady. yeah right Rokurokubi yeah that's her yep yeah. um so I just I thought that was interesting but oh man that's cool that's the only connection other other than that most of this is is for the movie yeah when Yuki throws that bomb she's up in the balcony and everybody else is down one floor and there's actually really crazy like it's like a first person camera shot of her diving down and, oh, and yeah. killing one of the guys. That's mm-hmm. really cool. I, I I like how they did that. And even the the specificness of her Yuki getting her left sleeve cut open and she has a cut yeah. on her left sleeve. That's a shot that's that's in the manga. Like that's which I just thought that's that's a very specific thing to to call back on. Oh man, um, very iconic cool. too. I I, mm-hmm. I just think yeah, it, totally. it looks really nice. Yeah. Yep. Man, it's cool imagining um you know, the crew having copies of the manga around as they're kind of staging and blocking mm-hmm. shots. It's um, I love stuff like oh, that. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm also imagining uh Meiko Kaji looking at him like, Yeah, I'm not getting naked, sorry. <laughs> right. <laughs> we can do everything else that's framed about this, but I'm gonna not be naked. Yeah. So, yeah. Have the eight year old do it. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> that's what she said. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um man. so in this uh sequence here okono escapes and uh she makes chase and uh actually escapes in air quotes yeah pretty crazy when she (laughs) when she ends up finding her she's hung herself and um that's shocking in itself and the way that they frame that's really crazy and you see okono's face staring right at the camera uh, but that's not even enough that's not the vengeance that yuki wants (laughs) and she takes her sword and slices her in oh. half like a piñata. <laughs> oh, it's so rough. Yeah, this blood-filled piñata and there's just a cascade of mm. like crimson that fills the room. Yeah. And this is actually completely a movie original. Oh, um, nice. Oh, there wow, is really. There is there is a depiction of a woman hanging herself, but it's not um it's not Okono and and the whole cutting in half, it, unless I wow. completely missed it in my skimming, that doesn't happen. Do you remember how Okono meets her fate? In Okono actually doesn't. Uh, it, it's funny. I was um, again, if I might have just missed it in one of the later ones, um, but she doesn't get actually killed directly by Yuki. She gets essentially Yuki gets her to get uh, captured and um, like sentenced to sentenced to execution. 
um, but she doesn't actually kill her herself, um, which I kept expecting that to come back, and it didn't, as far as I could tell. So gotcha. This is way cooler. I love this. Oh, oh yeah, I love this. Yep, this is way cooler. But yeah, I like it because whenever this, when I was first watching this, I was thinking, oh. That seems that's kind of a weird way to end. Like that's cool and all, but that's a weird way to end it. And I looked, I'm like, oh, we still got 20 minutes left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something's about to happen, right? And we see Yuki kind of having a little bit of the like thinking about like it was the was the revenge, like was the revenge worth it? And like, what's what's my life now? Um, right. But lucky for luckily for her, she still got some more revenge to do. Yeah, what we um, see is that uh, Ashio Ryure. He's uh, writing some more stuff for his paper and uh, a buggy shows up and there's a man that comes out. And what you find out is that Gishio, the man that we thought was dead, is still alive. And uh, they have an exchange that makes it seem like they're pretty familiar with each other. And what you find out shortly after that is that Gishio is actually Ryure's father. So that's pretty cool. And I mean, I don't know. Yeah. You said there are some differences with how they handle the character. So I'm, mm-hmm. I mean, is this different in the manga? Uh, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't have a son that we see in the manga. Okay. So it's, it's introduced in a pretty different way. I think this is pretty um, cool. Yeah. It is very cool. Yeah. Gishio has like kind of a heavy stake in this modern era mm-hmm. of Japan. He says that he's like that's an arms true. dealer. That's still true in the manga. Oh, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And, um, he kind of sees this Shurayuki Hime as kind mm. of an interference in what he wants to do. So he comes mm. to his son and threatens him. And uh, yeah, yeah, he's like, don't write about this anymore or else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's and this is another cool connection to the manga, though, is that the writer isn't isn't Gishiro's son, but uh, the writer is starting the 14th chapter of his novel which is the 14th chapter of lady snowblood the real life oh that's series. cool cool um just like how in this movie he's starting chapter four of his book and then right after that is when the chapter four of the movie starts so i was like oh that's that's a really cool way to, way to do that yeah that's, that's pretty- nice and there's something about that kind of meta quality in a movie that's mm-hmm. just like so I don't know. Yeah, so juicy because yeah. it's, you know, by this point, I imagine it was like a fairly successful and well-known manga, at least enough to be adapted. So I like that there's this kind of notion like, oh, that manga that you picked up and read about Lady Snowblood, mm-hmm. like you're part of the story of like why she's so n- notorious or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, and that's actually kind of a, a little bit of how some Tarant like the kind of meta quality of some Tarantino stuff where there's like the, oh sure there's like the fan theory that some of the movies that Tarantino did exist within the world of other movies that he's mm. done mm-hmm. like that pulp pulp fiction is like the re in the reality that Kill Bill is a movie within the reality of pulp fiction oh really was, nice. yeah there's like a whole fan theory about that and stuff <laughs> I'm all for that that's fun stuff oh yeah I like stuff yeah like that. totally yep as as long as it's not like super in your face. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, one of the things that Gishio says is that uh, he mentions a place called Rokumeikan, and uh, <laughs> Rokumeikan it's like a oh man, it was an actual building and it kind of represented like the Western culture invading Japan. So people mm-hmm. kind of have like an infamous kind of 
take on that place and that's kind of the setting for our finale and it's a, a western style mansion and they're having like a big masquerade and uh ashio's now told yuki that that's his father and that he's still alive and that you know she she knows now that she needs to get her mm. true revenge so yeah. um it's kind of funny seeing this guy super western and they very cheesy like a classical music playing and this kind of high society stuff going on yeah i was only there was only one piece i wasn't able to figure out what it was but i was able to figure out the other ones Mm, mm. yeah it's Um, like strauss and then there's like yeah there's there's a couple of strauss there's chopin's the the famous nocturne e flat major uh which is you you've heard it Uh, then there's one, confusingly, they play the Blue Danube by, by Strauss, but they also play the Waves of the Danube by uh, Ivan Avicii, I think, I don't know how you say it, but um, which is a different song, a different waltz by a different uh, composer, also about the Danube River. But Nice. But yeah, but uh, I, I was kind of hoping they would just keep the, the Chopin uh, going, because it's really cool with it like slowly, slowly zooming in on on Yuki, like just sitting in this masquerade party with the the music playing. Yeah, and yeah, I totally. didn't I didn't take time to look up all these flags, but I'm willing to bet money that some of these flags <laughs> didn't exist <laughs> when this film takes place. Right? <laughs> Am I right? I don't even. Yeah. It's probably a I don't know. Wrong stars on the American flag or some stuff. There's like also that. electric guitars in the score. So yeah, I'm there not we go. Get too bad. Yep. Um, <laughs> Yeah, quick just like note on the score, but like as we're approaching the end of the movie, um, I don't know, something that I love about it, and I've got to say there's elements of this in, in all of the films in this arc. Um, so the composer is uh, Masaki Hirao, I think. Yes. Um, but you kind of get the sense that like, or at least I, I interpret it this way, I could be totally wrong, but it's almost like they didn't have much regard for like kind of aesthetic principles or like tonal principles for the score is it almost struck me as like whatever kind of piece of music they were interested in for that scene um (laughs) and this is something like will and i talk a lot about with japanese cinema where uh there seems to be more of a tradition of like free reign for composers and uh you don't quite get that sense of like um a director really like weaning hard on a composer no i need exactly this tone for this scene and um, I think the end product is just kind of brimming with all this vibe and style, but I kind of have the sense that, uh, you know, it kind of all emerged sort of like organically or almost kind of like, um, for kicks or something. Um, yeah. but yeah, I don't know. It's really, it's really interesting score to the film and, um, uh, jarring in a lot of ways. Uh, but that kind of good jarring, like when you're in the hands of like, like an amazing kind of renegade artist Mm. not like a sort of reckless reckless one i kind of put this stuff in line with some of the other films that we've talked about like the street fighter or horo tekken you know um norifumi suzuki's films like atsukoshi homie stuff this japan action club stuff where it's kind of like one or two steps away from tokusatsu cheesiness (laughs) but it's still kind of trying to give you the music is kind of painting a color for you so it doesn't need to be like 
super hardcore great but it it has the spirit and the flavor of what they want you to feel and i think that um yeah a lot of times it can work really well and i mean i don't know when it comes to the all those films i think kentaro haneda did music for one of those um i i don't know i'm i'm super into all that stuff i I have such a high tolerance for cheese, though. Sometimes I worry <laughs> that my my taste is skewed, <laughs> that I can't really represent. I can't recommend stuff to people because I just love so much cheesy music. <laughs> no, dude, it's awesome. <laughs> so um, in the manga, this is, well, I think this is the last connection in the movie. There is a masquerade scene in one of the chapters at the same, uh, the same building. Um, they talk in the movie that this is like secretly like debaucherous, like people, like a lot of people having sex and stuff. Um, and obviously they show that a lot more in the manga, but I do like the, um, the, at the beginning of this, uh, this is chapter five at the beginning of it, they introduce Yuki learning how to become a pickpocket mm. and the way that she kind of gets her revenge in this chapter is she learns how to be a really good pickpocket and goes around dancing with as many of these men as she can at the party and just steals all their shit nice um <laughs> and then she finds where like someone has has like killed a woman out in the in the woods nearby and basically drops all of their stuff on the dead woman's body and <laughs> is able to like frame it that that the guys were the ones that killed her oh man oh wow i love that <laughs> Which is which is which is pretty cool and clever. Does she steal uh, any... the way that the way that she gets to the party is honestly so messed up? I kind of don't want to say it on the podcast. Really? So, oh man! Yeah, yeah it's jacked up. That's so. awesome. Um, <laughs> You're making me want to yeah, read I mean, this. Yeah. No, you leave us wanting more. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Uh, I was gonna ask: Does she steal any pillows? <laughs> no, she's not she's not that far gone carlos all right good <laughs> um well what happens in the film is she shows up at the masquerade and she's got her own little kind of eye mask and she's kind of prowling across the dance floor and she sees a target some token white actors we yeah seen them in a hot second right yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah totally and some generic english dialogue to flavor the scene <laughs> hi will you have this dance yep. <laughs> i think the last time Last time we heard some dialogue like that on the podcast, dang, what was that? I think it was one of the. I think one of the Lucky Stars movies had it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was. Yeah, Winner, you're right. I think it was Winners and Sinners. Yep. Yeah. And um, uh, she finds her target. She finds Gishio, and he kind of has like a secret wall door. Uh, so he, <laughs> he sneaks off into that uh hallway, and she makes chase. And when she enters the room that he's in. Uh, he strikes at her, so she gets wounded immediately. But um, the, as the fight goes on, she like slices his hands off, which is amazing. Ah, oh, that's she, really good. Yep, that's something I've never seen in a like a samurai film. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, yeah. I'm we not... saw some ankles get sliced off in uh, Lone Wolf and Cub. Yeah, for sure. But hey, what a way to disarm your opponent instead of striking at the blade, strike at their wrists, <laughs> disarm them. Yep totally and um she uh kills gishio but you quickly find that this was a decoy <laughs> mm. his beard comes off and his mask comes off just some guy yeah <laughs> yeah, just, yeah just some guy i like that 
they don't know even like it's just a guy. It's yeah. not like, oh, that's this guy from earlier. It's like, nah, it's just some guy. Yep. <laughs> and uh yeah, Ashio is with her uh through this, and there's a big uh fake mirror, a two way mirror, and she smashes through that and uh they make chase and uh Gishio uh he's he's also got a gun, so there's a struggle here and uh, unfortunately uh Ryude, Ashio Ryude kind of makes almost a sacrificing play he's struggling with his father and he ends up getting shot and they're out on the balcony over the dance floor so this is kind of drawing the attention of the crowd yeah and um uh yuki does like a tarzan she swings across uh one balcony <laughs> to the other yeah. to get to them and she uses her sword. i like right i like right before that they have kind of a, I know you can read my thoughts, boy. Oh, isn't that kind perfect? Of, oh, right. They're like telepathically communicating. Yeah, she's like, I'm going to kill you. And he's like, no, you're not. She's like, yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, and that's whenever she 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 Tarzan's over. Yep. It's, it's actually, it's almost more like um, Rob, like the 30s Robin Hood, because she like puts the knife in her in her mouth and oh, yeah, across. Yeah, yeah totally i love that there's like a moment flame. when they when they show the chandelier there's like pigeons chilling on the chandelier <laughs> <laughs> they don't address that at all but it's like they even have foley for the pigeons though they're like making noise <laughs> like <"Ooh>, <laughs> <laughs> who's deliver- deliberate choice yep and uh yeah she makes her way across and she ends up running through ashio into Gishio and um yeah. he ends up collapsing off of the balcony and lands in the middle of the ball and that's that's his death. And uh now it's it's kind of her dealing with the the fallout cuz she like she's all jacked up uh Ashio's dead and she she stumbles outside and then Koboy comes out of nowhere and stabs her. Yeah. Yeah, it's like feel. It's almost it's almost like wrestling. Like came out of nowhere with the chair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm super into it. I think it's mm, a, I a, too. a really cool kind of pin on this story. Yeah, and yeah, just a beautiful bit of acting there, right in that moment. Um, just the way that two women are looking at each other. It's almost like there's this deeper understanding, and um, it's almost <laughs> too much to handle. Yeah. And yeah, and she, you know, Yuki's like she. If Yuki almost has the look of yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. not like uh, how dare you. It's like yeah, nah, I, I get it, mm-hmm. right? Well, and you know that kind of the sort of religion of the movie that we've been talking about. It's she's really fulfilled her entire life's purpose here. So yeah, we don't have the sense that um, she would fight or beg for her life. Um, the way we've seen some of these kind of scummy characters do. So, as as Yuki is 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 kind of in like these kind of death throes and is and is walking down, there's like this kind of like poem thing almost all about like you know the her her path of vengeance and everything and how like she's kind of throwing away her 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 life. That actually is the same as the the final panel of the of the manga, although. She isn't, she isn't dead, or at least isn't isn't necessarily dead. It's kind of vague as to what she does. Mm. Um, but in this one, it seems pretty straightforward that she's either that she either is dying right here, or is is just kind of giving up. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. So this is the end of this film. The sun rises, the music swells, 
and uh, it's actually pretty beautiful how how that ends and uh, the screen kind of fills with the red that you're used to seeing and that's the end and then they made another movie after this yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) which is like okay yeah that's cool and i i think that when it comes to exploitation that's fun you know like have fun with it and do whatever you want and the second movie has a bunch of crazy characters that i mean maybe matthew you'd recognize since you read the manga (laughs) there's like some straight up like tokusatsu villains in the second (laughs) film and um there are some cool stuff there's some cool action but really i i just think that this first film kind of tightens everything up so well that you wouldn't really need a second film right yeah that's slave snowblood 1973 yeah 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 good time uh one the only uh random thing from the manga that i just wanted to introduce because there's i'm never gonna have another chance to to bring it up um <laughs> is um I was saying before that Yuki does like a lot of hiding and, and like wearing disguises and stuff. Um, and in one of the chapters, she, uh, this Yakuza leader tells her uh, this old woman essentially says, hey, strip down because, you know, that's how the manga does. Mm. Um, and to, to prove that you're not Yuki wearing a mask um, because like your body would look different. Um, and so she does proves that she's not and then um, walks away. And then we see the old woman look down like this hidden passageway and we see the same old woman looking up from her. So it turns out it actually is Yuki just wearing like a full body disguise Whoa. instead of just the mask. Yeah. That's Which awesome. that's really cool. That's there, there's a lot of really cool moments in the in the manga that you think it's worth checking out. Just be just be very aware. There's a lot of uh, problematic things in it. <laughs> well, and my sense from the little uh bits of expert excerpts that i saw is like that i don't know the manga maybe feels a little more like metaphorical or kind of fantastic or abstract or something mm. and the movie is is more grounded than than at least the manga seemed to yeah. seem to strike me but i think that's i think that's fair and you know obviously it's it helps that it's real people so it has to be at least somewhat more grounded but yeah i'm curious like uh I don't know. It sounds like that film from the early 2000s was like a, an attempt at a remake, but um... it seems totally removed from uh, I even oh, gotcha. the plot that I read didn't seem like anything like it. I think it's just kind of in name only kind of deal. Mm. But like I said, man, Donnie, I got to check it out. How can I not? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah sure. Kazuo Koike, super legendary uh you know mangaka you know as a writer he's done so many we talked about lone wolf and cub we talked about this uh i mentioned crying freeman um he also did a manga based on the incredible hulk (laughs) for a short amount of time and uh, i remember seeing artwork from it um he also did another one it's called Mad Bull 34, which was actually adapted into an anime in around the 90s. It's like really extreme, like kind of cop, uh, a super violent like anime that I always remember seeing like advertised on VHS tapes. And mm. actually, I, I've i heard that uh, Hagar in uh, Final Fight, he's influenced oh. by the main character from that series. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. So, yeah. Yeah. Really great stuff. Um, I mean, if you're 
if you're looking for stuff in this lane, like seinen stuff, like we've been talking mm-hmm. about, yeah, definitely check out Kazuo Koike's work. Yeah, and like, uh, yeah, this. I mean, we'll wrap up soon, but um, uh, Lady Snowblood. We have to say too, like this female heroine from this era. You know, like I don't know, like here in the West, what do you think of like something like Pam Greer or something like that? You know? Oh, you oh, know, sure. Kind of. Yeah tough uh lady seeking vengeance mm. against the man and like, that's that's kind of mm. cool that we got this out of japan no, all this that. time as well yeah mm. yeah anything to give pam greer more work <laughs> yeah yeah for Dude, sure yeah, um, she's here. awesome well thank you so much for listening to this show if you liked it then you can leave us a review on whatever you're listening to this on and you can check us out on facebook instagram and twitter we are at heroes the number three podcast on all three of them so next week we are going to be finishing up our look at Chambara film with a really special, uh, a really special movie. So Carlos, why don't you introduce that to us? Yeah, I mean, I would, I argue that it's not a Chambara film at all, but I feel like it's definitely within our wheelhouse, and it 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 has a Japanese samurai in the film. But whatever this film is, is going to be super <laughs> fun to talk about. So we're going to be mm-hmm. covering Duel to the Death from. Uh, 1983. Nice. Yeah, this is the directorial debut from Ching Siu Tung. We've talked about him a bit on the podcast over our mm-hmm. uh, many yeah. episodes, and uh, yeah, for him to be like, "Hey, I'm gonna make a movie, and it's gonna be insane, and we're gonna get to see <laughs> some great, great action." It definitely kind of jumping a little away from our Chambara, but still kind of some sword play and still lots of lots of fun stuff going on so yeah i'm I'm really excited for us to talk about that all right well so next week where we're taking a look at duel to the death i'm matthew i'm marty i'm carlos we are the heroes three from your training <laughs>